This morning, though, we're going to finish a conversation we're in, and this conversation we're in is in Luke 10. You have it open, and we're simply in this conversation. We had one sermon, four weeks, one passage of Scripture answering one question, and the question we've been answering for four weeks is what kind of neighbor am I? That's the question we've been answering. We said that is one of the most important questions we're going to ever answer. Don't take my word for it. We've said this is all by way of review, but that's exactly what Jesus said when he was asked, what's the most important thing for me to be focusing on, for me to be concerned about? He answered a guy this way, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he said this, the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then every week I've asked you to kind of say this out loud with me. Let's end this way. I want everybody to say this last sentence nice and loud. Here we go. Ready? There is point made, right? Point made. Jesus said, I don't know if there's anything more important you could be talking about, right? I'm not sure there's anything, any conversation you could have on a Sunday morning at the Norton Campus Grace Church than this conversation. Nothing more important than this. Why? Because we said it this way. If you weren't here, this is by way of review that loving God results in loving my neighbor. And loving my neighbor reflects that I love God. The two hold hands. You can't separate the two. They always go on a walk together. They always go on a walk together. That loving God results in loving my neighbor. I can't say I hate my neighbor, I hate this person, hate this person, and say I love God. That's what he's saying. The two go together. They're inseparable. One of the most important things I can ask is, what kind of neighbor am I? Because it's going to take me somewhere in understanding my love for God because my love for God results in loving my neighbor. But we said this, we said this. What if it wasn't just an important question I asked myself, what if loving my neighbor and the question what kind of neighbor I am is one of the most impactful things we could do as a church? What if it's one of the most impacting things you could ever do as a follower of Christ? And here's what I said to you. I said, what if taking Jesus seriously at his word Love your neighbor as yourself. What if that was the answer to some of our community's most pressing needs? What if we just listened to Jesus? I wonder if that would be some of the solution. And and here's what I said. As beautiful as you guys look, kind of cramming into this space, right? As awesome as it is seeing you get in this box, this little room, the most beautiful moment of any gathering we have is when we dismiss Because when we dismiss, it looks more like this. And this map, those red dots on that map simply depict for you where you all go. We simply went into Gracelink and took your addresses and we kind of made a map with all of those red dots. And what's incredible about that is this, is that some of you are going back to trailer parks, apartment complexes, cul-de-sacs, neighborhoods, whatever it might be, but we spread all over the place, interact with all kinds of neighbors and all kinds of neighborhoods. Guys, it's been fascinating for me to hear you talk. This morning, I had the guy who told me, hey, I'm going to go meet my neighbor that's lived across the street from me for 40 years. He grabbed me in the hallway and he said, hey, I met my neighbor. I got to know their name. And he was like all excited. I loved it. He actually put some skin on what we're talking about in here. I absolutely love that. I talked to a guy last week. He grabbed me on the way. Him and his wife grabbed me on the way out. And he said, hey, we have a neighbor that everybody's frustrated with. Maybe you know that kind of neighbor in your neighborhood, right? They won't ever mow their grass and the weeds are up and everything's disheveled. And finally, somehow they got to know this neighbor, found out it was a single lady who was living there, working a couple jobs, trying to make ends meet and all kinds of it. She didn't have time to take care of her lawn. And so him and his wife decided they were going to pay somebody to come in for the rest of the year to take care of her lawn. 
All of a sudden, all the other neighbors say, why'd you do that? And they had a chance to say, hey, well, we're in this conversation together. Some of you have come to me and said, hey, we started praying for our neighbor. We're afraid to meet them. Cool, we started somewhere, right? Some of you are like, hey, I met my neighbor. I got their name. Some of you are like, hey, my neighbors have some interesting stories, and I got a chance to begin plowing into their stories. It's been fascinating to hear your conversations. And I have told you this. Week two, I did this. I don't stand here speaking down to you. I'm with you on the journey because I have not always and I'm not always great at this, right? And I told you that sometimes I can kind of rationalize away neighboring and I made myself vulnerable week two. And so I'm here to report back to you, okay? I'm here to report back to you that this Friday at two o'clock, I'm going golfing. Can I get an amen in the room, right? Yeah. So if you live around Spring Hill Golf Course, or you are around Spring Hill Golf Course, Friday around 2 o'clock, I duck, all right? Because I'm not that good, all right? Somebody asked me earlier today, say, how many holes are you golfing, 9 or 18? I don't know. I golf till I run out of golf balls, and then we quit. That's how we work it, right? But I'm so excited to spend time in the cart with my neighbor. We're just going to kind of golf and have a good time, kind of talking together. We'll see where it goes. All of this conversation led us to an important passage in the Bible. It's one of the most familiar stories in all of the Bible. Many of you have heard of it, even if you didn't grow up in church. It's in Luke 10. And so this morning, week four, we're going to read it again. We're going to make some observation, and then there's something I need to share with you this morning, something I've been waiting all four weeks. I keep saying, come all four weeks. What I want to talk to you about this morning, you have to hear this morning. Story goes like this. One occasion, expert in the law stands up, tests Jesus. That wasn't unusual. Jesus was always being challenged, and this was not a lawyer per se. This was somebody who knew the Hebrew Old Testament. He knew the Hebrew scriptures really, really well. He was an expert in the law. He says, hey, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, for fear that you're going to zone out, everybody pay attention to that question. We're going to come back to it. That's the original question the guy asked. What do I have to do to be saved, to know that heaven is where I'm going? What do I have to do to know for sure that I'm going to have eternal life? That's what he's asking. That's an interesting question. This whole neighboring conversation is rolling around that question. Jesus knows this guy's an expert in the law. He's like, hey, uh, since you're an expert in the law, what's written in the law? Like, how do you read it? Guy responds. He gives kind of a summary. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and your mind. Then he adds the part Jesus would add, right? And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus looks at him and says, bingo, you've answered correctly. Just do this and you'll live. Which leads to an interesting line because this guy wants to justify himself, it says. So he asks Jesus a follow-up question. Original question, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? Follow-up question, because I want to make sure I'm okay. Well, then exactly who is my neighbor? Jesus decides I'm not going to answer your question with a question, right? Jesus decides at this point what I'm going to do is just answer your question with a story. He says man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Real road, 18-mile road, dangerous road. Don't go on that road alone at night road. That road is where people are waiting to attack vulnerable people on that road. Everybody's mind would have known that road, which road he's talking about. That man on that road was attacked by robbers. Go figure. That's what happens on that road. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him. And then they went away, leaving him half dead. Jesus then decides to thicken the plot. And he says, a priest, everybody would have thought, a priest, religious leader, high reputation, spiritual leader in our community, a priest. 
happened to be going down the same road, the road that the guy who shouldn't have been going down alone at night rode, that road. And when he saw the man, the man is now in the ditch, naked, beaten, nothing. He's hopeless. He's helpless. He's in the ditch. He sees the man in the ditch and he does what you don't think he would do. He passes by on the other side. So to a Levite, and we just said this, kind of a JV priest, kind of a, the worship leader, whatever it might be he was doing there, when he came to the place, that place, right? He was in that place where that guy was. He saw him, and he did what you wouldn't think that guy would do. He passed by on the other side. Everybody look here a second. We talked about this. We said at this point in the story, you're really irritated at the priest and the Levite. You're like, Really? Like, 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 you read the story, I can remember even hearing it preached this way. You're, you're like irritated until you take a minute and you try to understand those guys. And instead of being irritated, the moment you try to understand why would they pass on the other side of the road, all of a sudden it leaves you in an uncomfortable place. You go from being irritated to uncomfortably identifying with them. And maybe that's the point Jesus is making. And maybe the point Jesus is making in this story is this. We said that not neighboring is easy to justify. That some of us justify not neighboring. We're like, I'm too busy. It's too complicated. It's too hard. It's messy. It costs too much. I don't know my neighbors. You don't know who my neighbors are, right? And some of us in this room, we, we justify not neighboring. We talked about that week too. I, 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 I can relate with that. L listen, it is hard for me to neighbor. I ain't got nothing in common with my neighbors. I got a picture to prove it. Look at this. That's my neighbor right there with his Buckeye flag, Right? You, can, can anybody see close enough? He's got a black eye on his right eye. Can you see that? I just want to go on the record and saying that is not from me, all right? I actually love my neighbor in this next picture. That's actually more how we would relate. But we hung our flags out and he won, I lost, and I'm going to go congratulate him later. But here's the deal. Jesus said it's easy sometimes to justify not neighboring, right? That's why he kept telling the story. And he said, but a Samaritan, everybody in that room would have gasped. You didn't, they would have. Because they're like, he's not going to be, right, the hero of the story. As he traveled, came where the man was, in the ditch, bloody, half naked, hopeless, helpless. And when he saw him, when he saw him, he went outside of himself and he selflessly was aware there's somebody in that ditch. He took pity on them. Literally, his guts wrenched by the condition of the man. So he took the first steps and went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, because that's what the guy needed. He is beaten up. He has cuts and bruises. Then he put the man on his donkey. Why? Because the man needed a ride, brought him to an inn and took care of him next day. He took out two denarii, two days wages and gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, I want you to look after him. His kindness cost him. And when I return, I'm going to reimburse even beyond that for any extra expense you may have. Which led Jesus to ask the all important question. Jesus said, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Jesus said, wrong question is who is my neighbor. Right question is who neighbored. Jesus said, wrong question is who is my neighbor. Right question in this story is who neighbored in the story. Man couldn't choke out Samaritan, so he said the one who had mercy. Better translate it, the one who did the merciful thing. The one who did the merciful thing, that's who neighbored. Jesus said, great, I want you then to go and do Likewise, and we said this last week that neighboring is simply mercy in motion. 
that Jesus was illustrating that neighboring and this whole idea of neighboring is just mercy in motion, mercy with feet on, so to speak, mercy that does something, does the merciful thing, gives somebody what they need, not what they deserve. And here's what I know. Okay, now, and here's where we're going to go today, okay? I want you to be with me. I've heard from many of you. It's been interesting. You've emailed me. you stopped me afterwards, right? And here's what I'm hearing. Oh, Dan. <laughs> like, when's this series over? I had somebody say that to me. Like, when are we going to be done? I said, why? Like, what's wrong? It's oh, it's so challenging. Some of you have sent me emails. It's so stretching. Like, Dan, it's so complicated. Dan, it's so convicting. Right? Some of you are walking away each week and like, ah, oh, I don't know. How much more does that take, right? And here's what I know. Stay with me. This is so important. So important that you're here this morning. Because depending on, you ready? Ready? Everybody look here. Depending on who you identify with in the story will, will determine how you walk away from the story in this series. I'm going to say it again. Depending on who you identify with in the story will determine how you walk away from this story. You're saying, Dan, help me understand what you mean. Here's what I know, because I've talked to you. Some of you, don't raise your hand, don't say it out loud. Some of you identify with the priest and the Levite. You're like, when you told about them, yeah, I'm kind of like that. And if you identify with the priest and the Levite, guess what? I want you to fill this in on your outlines. I can feel like a guilty neighbor if that's who I identify with, right? If, if that's who I identify with, I feel guilty. I'm like, oh, man, I kind of figuratively speaking pass on the other side. I don't know my neighbors. I don't know their names, right? I don't know their stories. It's too hard. It's too complicated. Somebody said, oh, man, if you knew and you justify and you feel guilty. And so you're like, ah, that's who I relate to. I feel like every day and every time I go to my house, I just pass on the other side of the road. And you relate with the priest and the Levite, but, but others of you, ready, ready? You're like, wow, I don't really relate with them, or if I do, I don't want to. I relate more with the Samaritan. Some of you are like, you've talked to me, and you've told me why you relate with the Samaritan. It's like interesting, right? You're like, yeah, I'm kind of, I more relate with the Samaritan. And if that's you, you walk away not feeling guilty, but you walk away and say, hey, I think I'm a pretty good neighbor. And so if you relate with the Samaritan, you think, I'm a pretty good neighbor, because I've done some things. You have a list of credentials of how good you neighbor, right? Or at minimum, you at least, ready? Everybody listen. You at least neighbor gooder than other people. You tracking with me? Like I'm at least gooder than some neighbors I know. And so you walk away saying, hey, I'm not that bad of a neighbor. So some of us walk away from the series. I'm a priest. I'm a Levite. I'm guilty. Some of us are like, hey, listen, I'm a pretty good neighbor and I want to get gooder at it. Amen? Right? And when you stop and think about it, whether you feel, ready? Everybody just dial in. This is, we can, this is worth the price of coming. Whether you feel guilty or you're trying to be gooder, you stop and realize those two things are exactly what religion does to people. They either make them feel guilty, and if they feel guilty, then I got to become gooder because I got to meet some standard, and my guilt drives my goodness. Woo! All of a sudden, I realized, wow, what's going on here? Because Jesus, Jesus was constantly confronting religion, and certainly, was he telling the story so I felt guilty? Not Jesus. Was he telling us so I could be gooder, like a Pharisee or something? Not Jesus. And 
all of that drives me back to the story and the man's original question. Remember, he's a religious guy. He is a religious guy, and this is his question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus looks at him and says, you're the expert in the law. He said, what's written in the law? How do you read it? The expert in the law gives a summary of the law, and here's what he said. Here's what the law says. Love the Lord your God with all, look, look, all your heart with, what's that word? All your soul with, what's that word? Say it out loud. All your strength and with what? Say it out loud. All your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Now listen, before I show you the next verse, before we go to the next slide. So Jesus said, what's it say? And the guy's like, love God with all that makes you you and love your neighbor just as yourself. Everybody look here. If you don't read the next thing Jesus says with a little bit of holy sarcasm in his voice and a twinkle in his eye, I think you miss it. I've heard it preached a gazillion times. I think if you don't read it with a little sarcasm and a little twinkle in his eye, you miss it. Because Jesus looks at the dude, and this is what he said. Yep, bingo, you've answered correctly. Uh, Do this, and you'll live. Let that sit for a minute. Do what? Yeah, just go love God perfectly all the time with everything that makes you you, and all the time with all the energy and all the passion and all the speed and everything you have, love your neighbor just the way you want to be loved. If you do that perfectly all the time, completely, boom, you got it. And the guy hears the answer. Listen, I'm not sure you're with me. The guy hears the answer. He could have like, whoo, Got that right. Thanks, Jesus. I thought I was on the right boat, right? Doesn't do that. He hears Jesus' answer. He doesn't say, hey, man, I got the answer to the question. I got it right. I'm going to walk away. He doesn't do that. Why? Because the guy's uncomfortable. Just like you should be hearing that. What do I got to do to inherit eternal life? Just love God completely with everything that makes you you all the time and love your neighbor completely with all the energy you can muster up as you would want to be loved and you're good to go. And the guy's like, and so that's why the guy wants to what? Justify himself. Because the guy feels guilty and he wants to be gooder. And all he has, the only context he has is religion. And religion's about making me feel guilty. And he's like, oh no, I feel guilty. Because the guy says, if that's the standard, Guys, if that's the standard, the guy's sitting there thinking to himself, I can think of all kinds of times where I didn't love God with all my heart, most of my heart, a lot of my heart, all my heart, all my mind. And I can think of times when I didn't love people who might be called my neighbor as I would love myself. And my guess is, look, everybody look here. My guess is you can too. My guess is you can too. The guy's thinking to himself, if that's the standard, I've got to somehow justify myself. Why do I have to justify myself? Because I'm not satisfied. There's something. I feel guilty and I want to be gooder. I feel guilty and I want to be gooder. So when I'm guilty, I've got to explain away my guilt. I've got to say, well, you don't understand, or it's too hard, or I'm too busy. And then, and then I want to try to be gooder, at least gooder than the other people around me. That's what happens in religion. 
I don't know what to do with my guilt, so I got to get gooder. And Jesus is saying, if you do that perfectly, you'll inherit eternal life. And here's what you know in this room, and I know it, and you know it. Everybody listen. Jesus said, if you do that perfectly, you'll inherit eternal life. And here's what he knew, I know, you know. You won't, you can't, and you haven't. Neither have I. All of a sudden, the weight of what Jesus shares. So what happens is this, as we walk away from a story like, I want to be a good neighbor. And so I feel guilty. And so I'm going to start neighboring my neighbors. But, but when I really think about it, if what motivates me is I don't want to be guilty and I want to be gooder. Listen, everybody listen. I'm not going to make you feel good. If it's, I don't want to be guilty anymore, I want to be gooder. Guess what? I'm neighboring my neighbors for what? Self centered reasons because somehow I want to come out looking justified, feeling justified. When Jesus tells this story, it's like, wow, there's got to be something else. We could all leave this series. We could leave this series and think, I feel guilty or I want to be gooder and we could go be good neighbors and we could do great things in our community and that would be great. But we, if we do that, if we do that this morning, I'm telling you as one of your pastors, we miss the entire point of the story. And I think we miss the power of the story. What if, what if it weren't, what if we weren't just good neighbors who were motivated by our guilt to become gooder? What if there's something else that motivated us? What if we weren't motivated because somehow neighboring was a requirement to receive something? But what if, ready? What if it was a response because we have received something? You see, if you relate with the priest and the Levite, you're just going to be guilty and maybe try to be gooder. If you relate with the Samaritan, you're like, I'm doing pretty good and I want to get gooder and I want to at least be gooder than the people around me. Which leaves us with this, and this is where we go for a few minutes. There's got to be, ready? There's got to be someone else that Jesus wants us to identify with in the story. And some of you are sitting there like, I remember the priest. I remember the Levite. I remember the Samaritan. I don't remember Jesus having anybody else in the story. And how easy it is to forget that there's this dude in a ditch that's bloody, that's beaten, that's naked, that's helpless and hopeless. And I want to suggest to you this morning that the power of the story called the Good Samaritan will never pop in my life until I realize that that is the character in the story I most identify with. You see, when Jesus said, do this and live, he looked at the guy and said, hey, just love God all the time perfectly and your neighbor all the time perfectly. Do this and you'll live. Everybody look here and say, that would have been crushing. Can I get an amen in the room? That would have been crushing. It would have been like, When I realize how crushing that would have been, it makes me think of a quote that I came across by a guy named Tim Keller. I think it's powerful. Ready? It's not until you are crushed by the mercy God requires of you 
that you'll be humble enough to receive the mercy God offers you. I love that. You see, here's the point. I don't have to walk away feeling guilty. I don't have to walk away just trying to be gooder so that I can be gooder than those around me, be gooder to get what, whatever is required to receive this from God. But there's a third option. I want you to write it down. I can become a graced neighbor. I can become a graced neighbor. The power of this story is in who we choose to identify with. And if you want this story to come alive in your life, it begins by identifying with the guy in the ditch. Here's where it begins. I want you to write this down. I got to start by realizing I'm the man in the ditch. I am the man in the ditch. Spiritually speaking, guys, we are the man in the ditch. Some of you are shaking your head. You know why? You know why? Because you know exactly what that feels like. In fact, some of you are in here this morning. You know, you know, I can see in some of your eyes, you're in a ditch. You're experiencing it right now. The Bible says, says this, that our sin lands me in a ditch of death. The Bible is clear that my choices many times lead me in a ditch where there's a loss of meaning and purpose. And the Bible is clear that Satan, Satan is a robber kind of waiting along the road to steal, kill, and destroy. In fact, Jesus said in John 10, the thief, Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And some of you know that this morning because some of you are sitting here and I can almost see it in some of your eyes and you're in a ditch. For some of you, it's a ditch of regret guilt, the choices you've made. You're like, oh, man. Shame. You're like, oh, if anybody knew. Some of you are in a ditch. I was talking with somebody second service, and, and, and they were in a ditch. You're in a ditch of thinking, there's no, you love my neighbor as myself. I don't even love myself. I don't even love me. You're in a ditch. Some of you are in a ditch, and it's obvious, and, and you're experiencing it right now. Others of you, I want you to dial in right now. You're in a ditch. No one around you knows it. I mean, you look great on the outside because you have bought into this thing. Like, if I just get ahead and get a, get a title and make more money and do 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 and so you go, Shh, your life is like this, and yet, if we could see behind the veneer... You're in a ditch of emptiness. And some of you, in an effort to, to get where it is you think you got to be to experience life at its fullest, you've decided to compromise morally and you find yourself in a ditch of moral compromise. You see, the fact of the matter is, is that the Bible is clear that we're all in a ditch. Our sin lands us in a ditch. We're the man in the ditch. I love the fact that Jesus didn't stop there in John 10. But he said, the thief comes, steal, kill, and destroy. I, Jesus, have come. Why? That they may have life and have it to the full. You see, here's the deal. The power of the story begins with realizing I'm the man in the ditch. And then it's recognizing that Jesus is my ultimate neighbor. He is the ultimate good neighbor. If you want this story to come alive, it's realizing, spiritually speaking, I am helpless I am hopeless, and that the story of Jesus is that Jesus is the ultimate good neighbor who came to extend to me what I needed. You're saying, Dan, help me understand that. I'd be glad to. Let me ask you a question. 
Luke 10. Do you know, do you know, do you know Luke 10? Do you know your Bible? Luke 10 comes, comes right after what in, in the story of Luke? Luke 9. It wasn't really that hard of a question, guys. All right, I'm just saying. Like you're all sitting like, oh, I don't know, you know? It's like, like, like Luke 10 comes after Luke 9. Going to get an amen on that, right? It does, right? You check me on it, right? But in Luke 9, when you put the story of Luke 10 in the context of the story Luke's telling, something fascinating pops. Here's what it says in Luke 9. Jesus talking, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they didn't understand what this meant. It was hidden from them, so they didn't grasp it. They were afraid to ask him about it. As the time approached, look at this, for him, that's Jesus, to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Like, tell me how that makes sense. Listen, the whole, everybody look here, whole story of Luke changes at this point because it says Jesus was determined to go to Jerusalem. Why? Because if you read the story of Luke, when you get to chapter 19, Jesus comes riding in on a donkey. And everybody's like, hail the king, hail, hail, Hosanna. They're all like, hail. And then Jesus crawls off that donkey and he crawls on a wooden cross. You know why? You know why? Because he was bent on going to Jerusalem so that he could, you ready? Endure what I deserve so that he as the ultimate good neighbor could give me what I need. You see, I love how Romans puts it. When we were utterly helpless in a ditch of despair and helplessness, Christ came at the right time and died for us sinners. Most people wouldn't be willing to die for an upright person. Someone might die for someone who's especially good, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us. Everybody say this last phrase out loud with me. Wow. It's uncomfortable, isn't it? See, the fact of the matter is that God's not waiting for you to clean your life up, get religious, get church, get all that kind of stuff. But while I'm in the ditch, while I'm in the ditch, why did Jesus die on the cross? Because he took what I deserved so that as the ultimate good neighbor, he could give me exactly what I needed. The gospel is this, is that God was selflessly aware. He sees you. I don't know all your stories this morning. God sees you. And, and, and the gospel is this, it's just like that good Samaritan, God's guts wrenched, he loves you. God loves you. But does he know my past? He knows more about you than you know about you. He knows everything. And the gospel says this, that just like the good Samaritan, he made the first move. He made the first move while you were in the ditch, he made the first move. And just like the good Samaritan, he gave you exactly what you needed. How could he give me what I needed? Because he took what I deserved. That when he died on the cross, he paid the price for my sin, my guilt, my shame, my regret. And the Bible is clear that that kindness that God shows me cost him his life. And he says, for everybody who will accept his offer, accept his invitation, say yes to Jesus, right? By who say yes, Jesus says, I promise you, just like the Good Samaritan, I ain't going to leave you or forsake you. I'm going to keep showing up. See, when I realize I'm the man in the ditch, he's the ultimate good neighbor, I want you to write this down. Then I'm ready to respond to God's mercy in motion. Then I'm ready to respond to God's mercy in motion. That literally I'm ready at that point to respond to God's love in action towards me. Now listen, listen. I have a question for you. Have you ever responded to God's mercy in motion? 
Have you ever said yes to Jesus? I don't want to jump off this point, guys. Because here's my question. And man, I'm not going to try to squeeze an emotional moment out of this. My question is this. If not, why not? If not, why not? The story of God is that God loves you so much. He sees you. He knows everything about you. And he decided to take what you deserve so that you could have exactly what you need. Wow. Have you ever said yes to Jesus? You see... That's the most powerful decision you'll ever make in your life. Some of you are sitting here, and, and, and you're saying, I have, Dan. I said yes to Jesus. I became a Christian. I asked Jesus into my heart, and I want to say this with reverence yet realness. For some of us, asking Jesus into our heart is like a, an item we check off a checklist, right? <laughs> Junior camp, 1987, booms. I accepted Jesus, invited him into my heart. And then I moved on with life. And yet the truth is, the story Jesus is telling is this, is that when I say yes to Jesus, I say, yes, Jesus, I want you to rescue me. And yes, Jesus, I'm going to follow you the rest of my life. And that's the secret to neighboring because radical neighboring starts with being radically neighbored. The point of the conversation we've been having isn't to go out and just be good neighbors. That's not the point of the conversation. If we do that, if we just go out here and say, I'm going to be a good neighbor, my fear is we'd be trying to justify ourselves because we feel guilty and we want to feel gooder. The point of the story is to realize what we've received. Neighboring isn't a requirement to get to heaven. I hope it's not. None of us are going. If it's neighbor perfectly and you'll be in, I'm, I don't got any good news for you. But if neighboring is a response to the fact that the only one who ever did all that perfectly, his name was Jesus, resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem and he died for all of us who wouldn't do it perfectly, maybe neighboring isn't the requirement. Maybe it's a response that I received this grace I don't deserve. And when I receive it, stay with me, Grace Church. You've got to stay with me. When I receive it, I extend it. Whatever I experience, I extend. Whatever I receive, I share. I don't hoard God's grace, which means this. The big point for today is simply this. Grace neighbors will grace their neighbors. That somehow people who have been graced, that God's grace has exploded on the scene of their life, that grace that they've received will begin to leak out and infect the people they live around. When I realize that God stepped out and into my world and his kindness cost him his life, and I realize that's the only way I can be forgiven of my sin, the only way I can ever know for sure I'm going to heaven, the only way I can have a relationship with God, and yet he did that for me. That is grace. That is unbelievable, amazing grace. And maybe the point of the story, listen, listen, isn't to be good neighbors. Maybe it's to be gospel neighbors. Maybe it's to be graced neighbors. You see, if I'm just a good neighbor, it's a duty I keep to meet a requirement. But if I become a gospel neighbor, a grace neighbor, it's a response to what I've received. That's the difference. Which leads me to this question. Just leads me to this question. What kind of neighbor are you? 
what kind of neighbor are you? Because there's no more important question that I'll ask you in this space. There's no more impacting thing we'll ever do as a church. And so, Father, as the band comes out, and as we just spend time in prayer, I pray that you'd lean into us however you see fit. I just want to take a minute with your heads bowed and whether you close your eyes, just get in a space where it's just you thinking. You can block out. I'd love nobody to leave the room if at all possible. Just want you to dial in with me for a few minutes. I want to start here. Have you ever said yes to the ultimate good neighbor, Jesus? Some of you might have come in here and you are in a ditch of guilt, regret, despair, hopelessness, emptiness, moral compromise. I don't know. And, and some of you have convinced yourself, maybe because of how you were brought up, I don't know, that, that God is going to pass by on the other side, that God wouldn't want anything to do with me, that God would expect more of me. And the story of God, I know it's mind-blowing, it's hard to believe, is that in Christ, God sees you in that ditch right now at this moment. He sees you. He knows your name. His guts wrench for you. That's why he resolutely went to Jerusalem die to take what you and I deserve because he loves us so much and wants to give us what we need and this morning his hand reached out to yours he's simply inviting you to reach your hand out to his right now this moment and say God I'm a sinner I'm I'm in a ditch and I want to say yes I believe you're the only rescue for me this morning I believe you're the only salvation. And I want to spend the rest of my life saying yes to you, Jesus. Friends, if you had that conversation in your seat, I would love to know that. I'd love for you to email me, connection card, let me know somehow. She said yes to Jesus. Before I get off this moment, can I talk to some of you in the room who've said yes to Jesus? You've said yes to Jesus. You've asked Jesus to be your Savior, Lord of your life, King of your life. Can I ask you this? Just ask you this to think about. This amazing grace that's made such a difference in your life, can I ask you this? What difference does it make that that amazing grace is living next door to your neighbor's? What difference does it make that this unbelievable story of a God who rescues is living next to those people who live in the house next to you, behind you, across the street from you, in the apartment hall across from you, in the trailer park around you? What difference does it make? Jesus said this, that when that reality begins to explode on my life, it leaks from my life. When it explodes, when I realize the incredible, amazing rescue of God in my life, I can't hoard it. I gotta share it. I gotta demonstrate it and communicate it. I gotta show it and tell it. So God, I pray as we sing this song and end this series, that the truth and the words of this song would explode, that we wouldn't just sing, they'd ignite. Because we feel so privileged that you love us. 
God, we don't want to hoard that. We want it to leak from us. We want it to extend from us into the lives of the people that live across from us and around us. So I was thinking about this message in this series and several things came to mind. One is this, I want you to hear me say this. I believe this with all my heart. Guilt, guilt will never ever produce what grace can and will. Guilt will never produce what grace can. And I know how it is, I'm just like you. Come to an end of a a series and this is the end of a message. It's easy to say, what's the next conversation? Here's my prayer, guys. This is my prayer from the bottom of my heart. What if this wasn't the end of a message? But what if this was the commencement of a movement? A movement that somehow was pictured by us leaving this space and going all those places those red dots represent. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. If you're here and you've never said yes to Jesus, Jesus is the ultimate neighbor who took what you deserve to give you what you need. For those of you in the room who've said yes to Jesus, can I say it this way? Your neighbors might be some of the most fortunate people on the planet because they have the chance to live beside somebody who has been graced in ways unbelievable from God who loves them. My prayer is it will leak out into your neighborhood in unbelievable, amazing ways. So God, help us to leave here. Not guilty neighbors, not gooder neighbors, but graced neighbors. Thank you for loving us and giving us what we need, not what we deserve. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys. Can't wait to see you next week.